Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. If you got into an airplane for a skydive and you reached the altitude of 30,000 feet and you had to jump off, what would you put your confidence in? You might be super confident in the pilot of the airplane and his years of experience flying planes, his smooth takeoff and landing, but will the confidence in the pilot help you very much when you're free falling at two to 300 miles per hour? You might be confident in the structural stability of the aircraft. Maybe it was made in the USA with great materials. It's uh, been on multiple skydiving expeditions with no accidents, no deaths, no failures. But will that confidence help you at all when you're falling at 300 miles per hour toward the face of the earth? You might be super confident in yourself, how adventurous you are, the education you put into your brain leading up to the skydive. Uh, you, You aced the test, needed to skydive solo, but will confidence in yourself help you very much when you're free-falling at 300 miles per hour, racing to the earth, moments before you end up into a human pancake. How about this? Would you put your confidence in your personal beliefs? Maybe you really believe that you can fly like Superman. You really believe it with all your heart. So you begin to free-fall, and you feel the pressure of the air being pushed away from your body, and you begin to flap your arms. And you flap your arms more and more strongly because you genuinely, sincerely believe with all your heart that you can fly. Will confidence in your belief help you at, that, at all at that moment? You and I both know that confidence in any of those things, no matter how confident you are in each of them, no matter how sincerely you believe it, can't help you in this instance. It's only when you put your confidence in the parachute that your life can be saved from becoming a blob on the face of the earth. The parachute will suspend you in the air and allow you to reach the surface of the earth at a velocity that is more conducive to saving your life upon descending. Last week, we wrapped up our time looking at what Paul mentions are the marks of a follower of Christ, among which Paul says that as followers of Christ, we do not put confidence in the flesh. Today, Paul is going to give us some vivid examples of what confidence in the flesh looks like. We're going to try to make an abstract idea more concrete today. What are the areas in our lives where this confidence in the flesh shows up? And who should our confidence ultimately be found in? In other words, where's the parachute? And to help us understand this, Paul is going to give us what you can call his resume of righteousness. These are things that he put his confidence in before he encountered Christ. So let's take apart the passage uh, for today, and we're going to look at seven things we do not put our confidence in. All right, number one, our confidence is not in rituals. And we're going to look at the same passage a couple different times, and we're going to take it apart little by little, okay? So here's what Paul says. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Circumcision was the ritual that the Jewish people practiced under the Old Covenant. You can read about it in the New Testament specifically. And remember that he's addressing the Judaizers, right, who were claiming 
that in order to truly be saved, one had to adopt these rituals. It was a sign circumcision was of the covenant between God and the Jewish people in the Old Testament. This was a ritual in place which was how God set apart the Jewish people and it points back to God's covenant, God's promise with Abraham. And Paul is saying here that he was not a, a Jewish convert. He was not of another nation who became a Jew later on in life or through marriage. He was born a Jew, and as a Jew, he was circumcised on the eighth day. But Paul is saying that the confidence in his salvation is not in the rituals. It's not in the religious ceremony. And if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of believing that our religious rituals grant us salvation, that certain religious ceremonies have the ability to grant us forgiveness of sin and new life. Perhaps one of the most popular ways that we see this happen in our context is through the act of baptism. Some wrongly believe that salvation is secured through baptism, that through the act of baptism our sins are washed away and that we're saved because of that religious ritual. This is something that many Catholics believe and practice, which is why within the Catholic tradition, many parents want to baptize their infants. Uh, by the way, I'm pretty sure everyone here can understand why, if, if that is their belief, why they would want to do it. I mean, who doesn't want salvation and the promise of eternity for their kid? However, the Bible clearly teaches that baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. In other words, salvation precedes baptism, not the other way around. It's an act of obedience, not for salvation, but because salvation has already been experienced by grace through faith in Jesus. So we don't put our confidence in rituals like baptism, like communion, confirmation, confession, ordinations, none of that. Our confidence is in Christ and in Christ alone. Here's number two. Our confidence is not in our ethnicity. Let's go back to the verse once again. Let's read it over. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. Paul said that he was of the nation of Israel. In other words, he was 100% Jew. And Jews were very proud of their ethnicity. They were proud to be God's chosen people among the nations. In fact, that's why you read in the Bible that there was always racial tension between the Samaritans, for example, who were half Jew and half Gentile. There was always hostility amongst Gentile nations. It was always us versus them. There certainly is truth that God, by His grace and in His sovereignty, chose the Jewish people to be the nation by which salvation would enter the world through the Messiah, through Jesus. And there's no doubt how throughout the scriptures, God's hand has been on and over the Israelite people. But Paul is not basing the foundation for his salvation on his ethnicity. His salvation is not dependent on the fact that he is from the nation of Israel. For us guys, we, we can celebrate our ethnicity. We can celebrate where we come from. We can celebrate where we were born, the food that we eat, the holidays that we celebrate, uh, and even some of the firm religious beliefs that come as a result of our ethnic background. But that is not where we put our confidence. In today's world, this tends to play out this way. Many people put or place their confidence in their Americanness. Because we are in the land of the free, home of the brave. Because this is a Christian nation based on the principles of the Bible. After all, we are one nation under God. But guys, we do not put our confidence in our ethnicity or our country of origin. 
Our one nation under God is falling further and further away from the principles it was founded upon. Your ethnicity, your city of origin is not what grants you salvation. Uh, this is also the dangerous teaching of the religion of the Hebrew Israelites. As a result of the oppression and injustice of the African-American race in America's history, this false doctrine was birthed, which states that only black and brown people will experience salvation. That's what the Hebrew Israelites teach. What is that? That is putting confidence in the flesh. That is putting confidence in our ethnicity. And they have formed an entirely wrong theology around it. Paul was of the nation of Israel, but he knew that he had to look to the offspring of Abraham, who would take on the sins of the world. And who is that offspring? His name is Jesus. Here's the third thing. You can write this down. We do not put our confidence in family. And let's go back to the verse. Once again, we're going to continue to read it over and over. He says, If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul said that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was known for being the tribe where the great king Saul, the first king of Israel, came from. The holy city, Jerusalem, was within the confines of the Benjamin territory as well. There was a little prestige behind coming from the tribe of Benjamin, which is why Paul mentions it here. One could suppose that because the holy city was within the dominion of the Benjamin tribe, that if anyone could lay claim of salvation by birth, it was Paul because he was of that particular tribe. That somehow proximity to the birthplace of salvation would grant salvation. But Paul is saying that our confidence is not determined by our family or our bloodline. And we mentioned this some last week as well. You're not a Christian and thereby saved because your mama was a Christian and her mama was a Christian. And that's what grandpa checked off uh, you know, when he filled out the census back in 1952, or, or, you know, we're not atheists, we're not Muslim, so I guess we're Christian. No, guys, salvation has nothing to do with proximity. Your walk with Christ is not determined by your family or your bloodline. Christianity is not a blood type or a strand of DNA or a genetic quality passed down for generations. Your walk with Christ is determined first as a gift by the grace of God through Jesus, and secondly, as a response to that gift. Have you ever paused to examine truly why you call yourself a Christian? Is it because that's what your parents and their parents claim to be at home? When will their faith become your faith? Here's the fourth thing. Number four, we do not put our confidence in traditions. And let's go back to the verse again. He says this, If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Paul said that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And what Paul meant by that was though, though he was fluent in Greek, and though he was born in a Greek city, he never abandoned his Hebrew traditions or his Hebrew roots. Paul never abandoned his culture, and he was fully engulfed in all the traditions and everything that that entailed of that culture the culture of the Jewish people. In other words, he held on to all the traditions of his culture. For example, he held on to the holidays. He celebrated the festivals, the customs, the ordinances, all of it. But Paul realized that it wasn't his tie to his Hebrew traditions that granted his salvation. The Hebrew traditions held no weight and were powerless to grant him forgiveness of sin, new life, and eternity with the Father. 
You guys know this. Every family has traditions. No doubt your family has traditions. And some of them, some of those traditions may be amazing. Amazing ones that, that hold semblance or connection with Christianity. For example, maybe on Thanksgiving Day, while everybody sits around the table, before you eat all the food, before you cut into the leg of that turkey, everyone stops, holds hands, and says a prayer. Or maybe somewhere in the home, there's a Bible on a nightstand, and it's open, and it has, you know, Psalms chapter 23 opened up. Maybe there's a painting of Jesus or a cross hanging over a door, because traditionally we've always had some kind of artwork to commemorate Jesus. But none of those traditions make you a follower of Christ. And none of those gestures have the ability to save you. We must not and cannot rely on these traditions to save us. Paul realized this and pointed everyone to the ultimate Hebrew of Hebrews, Jesus, who was the only one who was mighty to save. Here's number five. We do not put our confidence in our title. Look how he says it in the verse. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee. Before Paul encountered Christ, he was a Pharisee. And Pharisees were a well-known, a well-known, pious, and self-righteous group of people. The Pharisees were highly regarded amongst the Jewish people and basically seen as leaders. They were people that not only knew the law, but they kept the letter of the law meticulously. And they had over 600 laws that they would adhere to for personal holiness. So to be a Pharisee was to have an esteemed religious title. To be in such a prestigious role represented someone being close to God. They prayed long religious prayers. They would dress in such a way that everyone knew that they were holy and righteous people. It was obvious the title that they owned. But your position as a child of God is not contingent on a title or a position you hold in a church or a religious institution. Your salvation is not based on whether or not you have the name pastor, apostle, bishop, or whatever silly title people make up these days in front of your name. People are always making stuff up because people love titles. Your salvation is not contingent on if you have a PhD in theology. If your picture and name are printed on the front of some flyer of an evangelistic event as the guest speaker, if your big old head is plastered on a website or a billboard or a church sign, your title is powerless to save. There's only one title that matters when it comes to our salvation and our right standing with God, and that is the title Jesus holds, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here's number six. We do not put confidence in zeal. Zeal. Let's look how Paul says it back in today's passage. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Paul was so zealous for the law that for him it was blasphemy to see people call Jesus God. And before he had an encounter with Christ, he would persecute followers of the way you know, the Christians in the early church. In fact, in the book of Acts, you read about one such instance. It's the first recorded martyr of the early church. It's a guy named Stephen. And we read that present at his gruesome and barbaric stoning for doing nothing but following and preaching Jesus, there was Paul. And what was he doing? He was giving oversight. He was giving his approval. And Paul was very zealous in his beliefs. He was very passionate. He was very sincere but he was sincerely wrong. 
And in his zeal, he not only persecuted the early church, but he even jailed, beat, and murdered many of the early Christians. Maybe you are really zealous about something. You're super passionate about what you believe about God or the Bible or Christ or, or what you believe about the, what the Bible and, and God has to say about a certain cultural topic. But you can be sincere and you can be sincerely wrong. You can be passionate about Christ or the idea of salvation and yet not actually know Christ. People get passionate about a lot of things. People are passionate about their favorite sports team. People are passionate about their kids. People are passionate about a particular cause or their work or a charity. But you might be super passionate and zealous and sincere about an idea. And first of all, doesn't uh, an idea that first of all doesn't grant you holiness or make you a follower of Jesus. And secondly, that can be completely, utterly, and entirely wrong. And that's what Paul did. He was super zealous, but his zeal was incapable of saving him. And here's the last thing, number seven. We do not put confidence in righteousness. Let's look at today's passage one more time. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. What Paul is saying here is that he kept the law. He worked really, really hard to obey every command. Not that he was flawless or perfect, but that he was a worthy example to follow in his rule keeping. And this is exactly where he was mistaken. And this is where so many people remain mistaken today. He thought that he could some way, somehow live so righteously that he could earn salvation through his rule keeping and, and personal righteousness. You might believe yourself to be a very moral person, you don't even jaywalk. You, you always put a period at the end of your sentences. You show up on time to jury duty. You mind your P's and Q's. But none of that has the ability or the power to save. It's only by the righteousness of Jesus. The only one who is able to perfectly uphold the law and who live without sin. It is through his righteousness by which we can experience the forgiveness of sin and new life. And this is where so many people get tripped up because most people think that they're pretty good people. You can approach anyone on the street, ask them if they believe there's a heaven and a hell. And if they do, ask them where do they think they're going after this life and why. And they will tell you that because they are good people, they are sure to be with God after this life. But guys, our measure of goodness falls incredibly short before a perfect and righteous God. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what our sinfulness merits is the outpouring of God's just wrath. And the problem is that our measurement of righteousness is skewed. Of course, if you compare yourself to Hitler, Stalin, or Ted Bundy, you seem like an angel. You seem like a pretty nice person. Congrats, you're not a mass murderer. But when you compare yourself to God's holy, righteous standard of perfection, you fall incredibly short. Just look at the Ten Commandments. Morality 101. No one can say, wow, God, you really set the bar, you know, really high there. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Honor your father and your mother. And that's just four out of the ten. And none of this is mind-boggling stuff. However, we still fall incredibly short. 
And what this tells us is that we are to depend on the righteousness of Christ, not our own. And this is the gospel, that God entered our mess in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus lived the perfect and sinless life, the life that we were incapable of living. And he died the death that you and I deserve. But that because Jesus is God, he has power of life and death. And he conquered the grave so that all who would call upon the name of the Lord, all who would put their confidence not in their own righteousness, but in Christ, will be saved. This is where our confidence lies. This is the parachute. It lies in Jesus. And if you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, why not? Your rituals can't save. Your ethnicity can't save. Your rank can't save. Your traditions won't save you. Your title, your zeal, your righteousness are incapable of saving you. Only Christ can save. So if you want to experience this salvation, all you need to do is put your faith in Jesus. Lord, would you forgive us for thinking that any of these things are more important or are more mightier to save than you are? Thank you for the cross. Thank you for taking my punishment as it is rightly satisfied in Christ and how I am justified because of Christ. God, I pray that we might be confident people today, but that we would be confident not in self, not whatsoever, but that we would be confident in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. I want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub. Let's worship together. Let's get together. Let's worship God together. Let's learn and grow together. Let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?